0: Welcome to Lessons for Living Television. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. Probably the most commonly cited survey about fears in public speaking was reported in the 1977 edition of the Book of Lists by David Wallachinsky, Irving Wallace, and Amy Wallace. An article appeared on pages 469 and 470, and it was entitled The 14 Worst Human Fears, and it stated that 41% of people feared speaking before a group, while only 19% feared death. Well, the comparison of just these two percentages led to the common statement that more people fear public speaking than fear death. Now, by the application of this logic, Jerry Seinfeld and others transformed this into a completely different claim that... People fear public speaking more than they fear death. In fact, Jerry Seinfeld would be often quoted as saying, according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. Death, he would say, is number two. Does that make any sense? That means to the average person, if they have to go to a funeral, they'd be better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. Well, the fear of death and dying isn't uncommon. Most of us, well, we fear death to some degree. In fact, the fear of death is so common that it has spurred multiple research projects and has intrigued everyone from scholars to religious leaders around the world. Some interesting findings have emerged from studying the fear of death. For example, women have generally shown more fear of death than men. Perhaps because women are more likely to admit to and discuss their fears. Now, there's some conflicting research about the fear of death in young people versus the elderly. While most researchers will argue that young people fear death more than the elderly, one study conducted with dying people in Taiwan and published in the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management showed that the fear of death actually didn't lessen with increased age. Interestingly, the same study showed that a patient's fear of death decreased after they were admitted to hospice care, likely, they said, as a result of the education and the emotional and or spiritual support they would receive from the hospice team. So what is it about death that has us so scared? Fear of death is broken into at least two specific fears, at least according to the experts. There's the fear of pain and suffering. So many people fear that when they meet death, they will do so with excruciating pain and suffering. This fear is common in many healthy people and is often seen with patients that are dying of cancer or other painful diseases. Then there is the fear of the unknown. You see, the experts say death is the ultimate unknown. No one has ever survived this to tell us what it's like, what happens afterward. It's in our human nature to want to understand and make sense of the world around us, but death, they say, can never be fully understood while we are still alive. Well, I don't agree with that statement because it is possible to know what happens to us when we die. We don't have to be groping in the dark with regards to such an important question as what happens to me when I die. We just need to know where to go to get the most accurate information. Well, if you've been watching me for some time, you know that I'm going to suggest that we go to the Bible for the answer. Because when I go to scripture, I see that the Bible says there is someone who died and came back, and therefore becomes a reliable source to answer the question, what happens to me when I die? Let's go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. I am he who lives and was dead and behold, am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. See what it says? We don't have to grope around in the dark. Jesus has died and he has come back. Well, let's go to him for some answer so that... When it comes time for you or I to close our eyes for the last time, we will know exactly what to expect. Now, I think for many watching, you're going to be surprised as to how much the Bible actually says on this subject. Now, let me just say this. It's going to be, for some of you, it's going to take some effort on your part as we go through the Bible because in order to understand what the Bible says, we need to be willing to separate ourselves from the subject long enough to let God do some explaining. So as we go through this, I'm going to ask you, do not jump to any conclusions because we're simply going to use the Bible as our rule of faith and we're going to ask the Bible, what happens to someone when they die? Now, here's how Jesus described death in one of the most compassionate scenes in the Bible, John chapter 11, verse 11. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps. Now that's interesting because Jesus seems to compare death to a sleep, so I asked myself, why? Why does Jesus compare death to sleeping? you make your way through the Bible, you're going to see that the Bible compares death to sleep in almost 60 verses. Why has God chosen to compare death to sleep over and over again in the Bible? So I started digging a little deeper, and I started to find some answers in scriptures. I went to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7, and here we have what many have called the formula for death. Here's what it says. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. It's very simple. According to the Bible, when you die, the Spirit returns to God, and your body, my body, which is made of dust, decomposes and goes back to the earth. For dust thou art, and unto dust you shall return. It's one of the most basic statements and one of the ugliest truths in Scripture. You see, that's what the book of Ecclesiastes says. The dust returns to the earth, and the spirit, small s, returns to God. Now, that's not the only place you find that formula. If you go back to the book of Genesis you're going to find the reverse process being described when God first created life, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now allow me to make a bold suggestion and then we're going to test it with the Bible. I'm going to suggest that they're the same formula. Genesis 2:7 and Ecclesiastes 12-7 are two sides of the same coin. And is it possible that breath of life found in Genesis 2-7 is the same as spirit found in Ecclesiastes 12-7? Let's go to Job chapter 27 and verse 3. There we read this. All the while my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. Now let me ask you a question. How can the Spirit of God be in Job's nostrils? It's very simple because in the Bible... Sometimes the word spirit refers to a spirit being, like the Holy Spirit or sometimes angels. But sometimes, like here in Job, it simply refers to our breath. In Ecclesiastes 12, 7, and in Job 27, 3, the spirit is not a ghost, it's the breath of life. It's that life-giving principle that only God can give. Look at the 146th Psalm, verses 3 and 4. It says, Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth, and in that very day his thoughts perish. Perish. The Bible says that when you die, and Ecclesiastes says your body goes back to the dust, the spirit back to God. Here's the formula again. The breath goes forth, and the body becomes dust. But here, David adds another important thought. He says the day you die, your thoughts perish. In other words, the day you die, you stop Thinking. That's what the Bible says. Now, I want you to think this through with me. If when we died, we immediately at that moment would pass into the presence of God, don't you think we'd have some thoughts? Now, I know for a fact that there are some watching me right now that don't think this way. You see, this isn't what we've been told We've always been told that when we die, our ghost floats away somewhere. We've always been told that the spirit is our ghost, but, friends, that's not what the Bible says. The spirit is our breath, and we are a living soul. So then what does happen when we die? Well, if you think of it this way, when you take a light bulb and turn it into a socket, and add electricity, what do you get? You get light. Well, if you take away the electricity, where does the light go? It didn't go anywhere, did it? It just simply ceased to exist. I don't want to be misunderstood, so follow me carefully here. According to the Bible, you and I, we are a combination of dust and breath. Together, that makes a living soul. It's like a light bulb plus power creates light. But when you take away the breath of life, that gift of life, where do we go? Well, like the light, we go nowhere. We die. We simply cease to exist. Look at the 115th Psalm, verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. Now, let me ask you something. Don't you think that if immediately we were whisked into the presence of God that we would be praising Him? The fact is we don't go to heaven right away. We don't go to hell. The first thing that happens is that is that we die. You go to the grave. That's how I know that these psychics and these mediums that claim that speak to the dead, they, they don't know. They don't have the answers because they can't talk to the dead because the Bible says the dead have no thoughts and the dead can't talk to you. Job chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, when a cloud vanishes, it's gone. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He will not return again to his house, nor will his place know him anymore. See, the Bible says that when you die, you die, that's it. Let me be very serious here. If, if, if someone is coming to you saying they're communicating with the dead, then let me tell you something. They're either lying to you or they're deceived because God says in his holy word that the dead don't come back. They're dead. In fact, they don't know anything. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal, have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. You see, friends, the Bible says that when you're dead, you're dead. Now, let me try to prove this to you. In the 11th chapter of John, we read it at the beginning of the program, some people came to Jesus, and they come to tell him that one of his friends, his close friends, was very sick. But... Before Jesus can get to Lazarus, well, he dies. John chapter 11, verse 11. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of the sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. You see, the disciples didn't know that Lazarus was dead. And so Jesus comes and he says, Lazarus is sleeping. Well, the disciples hear that and they think, Jesus, that's great. If he's sleeping, I bet you he's going to get better. But that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus was trying to tell the disciples that Lazarus was sleeping the sleep of death. I want to encourage you to check your Bible carefully. It calls death a sleep. In fact, at, stick with me to the end of the program. I'm going to give you a resource to help you. It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible that people are whisked off to heaven. It doesn't say that people are whisked off to hell. It doesn't, it just, they're sleeping. That's because when we die, we sleep until Jesus comes. And that's exactly what Lazarus sisters believed. Verses 23 and 24. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, friends, the Bible says that when you die, when I die, we fall asleep. What seems like a moment passes and when you open your eyes again, we will see Jesus coming. That's what the Bible teaches about death. That's been the hope of Christians for more than 2,000 years. Try to find in the Bible the description of an immortal soul. I promise you, you're not going to find it. In fact, the Bible says that there's only one that is immortal. Do you know who that is? 1 Timothy 6, verse 15 and 16 says, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality. You know what the Bible says? It says only God is immortal. You and I are not immortal. We're mortal. We're going to die. We are living souls now. But when we die, we go back to the dust. In fact, you may not be aware of this, but the Bible is very clear that a soul, in fact, can die. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the fathers as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is what? Death. And here the Bible says that the soul that sins is going to die. And you wait in your grave until the resurrection morning. Let me share something with you. I got this little book here in my hand. Study of Christian Hope, Life and Death. Here's what the foreword says. The Statement on the Christian Hope has been prepared by the Committee on Christian Faith at the instruction of the 16th General Council of the United Church of Canada meeting in Sackville, New Brunswick in September 1954. The Executive of the General Council of the United Church of Canada at its meeting in May 1959 gave general approval to this statement as worthy of study in the Church. It's not supposed that all who read this document will agree with it in all details, but the committee has tried to produce a statement based upon the scriptures of what it believes to be a true interpretation of Christian hope. Then on pages 22 and 23, we read this. The word immortality means deathlessness, and in the New Testament it is not used of man except to describe his life after the resurrection. Paul did not say that man does not die, but that the dead will be raised imperishable or immortal. He did not say that the soul naturally survives death, but that this mortal must put on immortality. It is a mistake to say there is no death, for that is a lie. The Christian faith does not try to play down the reality of death, but on the contrary, it insists that when a man dies, he really dies. Deathlessness is not a quality of the human soul any more than it is a quality of the human body. Indeed, this division of man's being into immortal soul and mortal body, now listen here, does not come from the Bible and actually clashes with the Christian teaching that life beyond death is a work of God's grace, not a natural unfolding of man's constitution, and that the Christian hope is in resurrection, a being raised from the dead, rather than in a natural immortality. As we have said, the idea that man consists of two separate parts Body and soul does not come from the Bible. It comes from the Greek philosophers. We cannot accept the typical view as expressed by Plato that death is the separation of soul and body and that to be dead is the completion of this. When soul exists by itself and is released from the body, the witness of the Bible is that man, as created by God, is a body-spirit person. Each of these aspects of his being is equally essential and inseparably united with the other. That's what it says. In one of his later moments, Benjamin Franklin thought he would pen his own epitaph. Now, he never professed to be a born-again Christian, but it seems that he must have been influenced by some of Paul's teachings of the resurrection, because here's what he wrote The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. But the work shall not be entirely lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. You see, the Bible teaching is that man is mortal. All future life depends upon Jesus Christ and is given by God through Christ. Natural death, which comes to all men, is not life in another realm or state, but death is the end of all conscious existence it is however a temporary end of life because there will be a resurrection and the bible says the righteous will then put on immortality we have in the bible a book in which god has revealed all truth necessary for living that's why we call our program lessons for living This book contains all the necessary information regarding our origins, our history, our condition, our nature, and ultimately our destiny. And its teaching throughout is that you and I are mortal, not immortal, perishable, not deathless, and our only hope of future life is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. The Bible promises life, eternal life to those who believe in Jesus Christ. That's the teaching of the Bible regarding our destiny, regarding our life, regarding our death. The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven. We may have to fall asleep before Jesus comes, but the resurrection morning is coming. That you can count on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the clear words of Scripture and the comfort in knowing that the dead sleep peacefully awaiting the resurrection morning. Holy Scripture tells us, Father, that we are to comfort one another in these words. I pray that you comfort those right now that have lost a loved one. May they know that that loved one on the resurrection morning Will once again be placed into their arms by your grace and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I know that today's study is going to raise a lot of questions in the minds of many of our viewers. To help get you the answers, we have this special gift for you. It's a special edition of the Signs of the Times magazine entitled, What Happens When You Die? ASK FOR THIS MAGAZINE, BECAUSE THIS WILL GO A LONG WAY IN FURTHERING YOUR STUDY ON on DEATH AND WHAT THE BIBLE TEACHES ABOUT IT. WE WANT TO SEND IT TO YOU. HERE'S THE INFORMATION YOU NEED TO GET YOUR COPY.
1: TO RECEIVE TODAY'S FREE OFFER, YOU CAN LOG ON TO THE LESSONS FOR LIVING TELEVISION WEBSITE, WWW.L4LTV.COM. THAT'S THE LESSONS FOR LIVING TELEVISION WEBSITE, WWW.L4LTV.COM. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe-Conlin Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 083. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. OPERATORS ARE STANDING BY NOW. WHILE ON OUR WEBSITE, YOU CAN LEAVE A PRAYER REQUEST, AND IF IMPRESSED TO DO SO, DONATE TO HELP KEEP THIS MINISTRY ON THE AIR. THANK YOU FOR YOUR SUPPORT.
0: WELL, WE'VE COME TO THE END OF ANOTHER PROGRAM. THANK YOU SO MUCH FOR uh, JOINING US TODAY. Um, LIKE I SAID EARLIER, I KNOW THIS TOPIC IS ONE THAT RAISES ALL KINDS OF QUESTIONS. SO IF YOU HAVE ANY QUESTIONS AND YOU WANT TO CONTACT ME, YOU CAN, THROUGH THE WEBSITE, just filling out any one of those forms, or at my email, bill at l4ltv.com. Remember to visit the website, l4ltv.com, like us on Facebook, check out our YouTube channel. On the website, live appearances, find out where I will be appearing. I have, over the next number of months, a number of speaking engagements in the southern Ontario area. So if you want to come out to one of those, we'd love to have you check out the Live Appearances tab. Previous Programs tab, all of our previous programs are there. Send in a prayer request, and if you feel so impressed to do so and you want to help this ministry stay on the air and send a donation, we'll send you a tax-deductible receipt for that donation. Thank you so much for spending this half hour with us. I hope we get a chance to do it again real soon. God bless you.